Welcome, viewers and listeners, to the Total Football Analysis EPL Podcast. We are the Thinking Fans Podcast. Each week, we get together with our besties, who are current pro players, real coaches, academics, and stat heads. We are sponsored by the Premier League Guide, a 300-page guide of the season created by a team of 15-plus writers and designers. Moneyball for football, analytics plus opposition analysis plus eye candy. The next update will be released on December 5th at www.thinkingfanmedia.com and on Amazon. Today, we're joined by soccer analyst Harshal Patel. Also on the pod is professional footballer Dre Fortune. I am host Chris Mumford, known as The Professor, Bella Chow. During week 10, the standings are starting to take a familiar shape. Yes, the usual suspects are gathering at the top of the table, with a couple of surprises mid-table and beyond. We recap Chelsea Tottenham, Man U, Southampton, Leeds, Everton, Liverpool, Brighton, Arsenal and Wolves, amongst others. We consider upcoming Champions League fixtures and preview week 11 matches, including Man U, West Ham, Chelsea, Leeds, Tottenham, Arsenal, and Liverpool and Wolves. Well, Harshel, why don't you give us our take on probably the biggest showcase of the of the week, which is the Chelsea-Tottenham game. Yeah, definitely was the biggest game of the weekend. But, I mean, a lot of fans and viewers might have found it disappointing in terms of it didn't live up to the hype from an entertainment point of view, obviously, and then a little draw. And it wasn't one of those nil-nil draws where you feel like, hey, you know what, there was a lot of entertainment. Teams could have scored, but they didn't, and it ended up goalless. This was actually a pretty um, dour game. It was actually it was quite similar to... Um, Chelsea's game against Man United uh, a few weeks ago at Old Trafford, which also finished in a goalless stalemate. And that's something interesting to take away because Frank Lampard, I think, has been looking for a balance between his the attacking side and the defensive side of things for his team. And obviously, we all know about uh, the, the attacking talent he has at his disposal this summer with all the uh, players that have come in. But Chelsea struggled defensively last year. They conceded 54 goals in the league. So that is an area that he wanted to tighten up. And I think we're starting to see that in the bigger game, in the games against the teams where Chelsea could conceivably concede goals. He's starting to put safety first as uh, the default option rather than going for it. And Mourinho, on the other hand, was always going to uh, you know, sit back and look for a goal on the counter. What's interesting from a tactical point of view, at least, uh, is that uh, Spurs did this in the game against City as well last week, where Musa Sissoko and Pierre-Emil Hoybier, who were the two central midfielders, were dropping back into the back line to form a sort of back six. Not exactly, but the, but the reason for that was that City really looked to stretch the play and then get the sort of number eights who are the likes of Kevin De Bruyne, Ilkay Gundogan into those central areas and making runs into the box or being able to find the likes of Gabriel Jesus making runs into the box. And the reason why Mourinho put those players back into the back line was so that the fullback could go out and engage the opposite fullback or winger if needed, while there's still space between the fullback and the centre-back where on the right-hand side, for example, Sissoko has dropped in. Mourinho did the exact same thing um, against, uh, against Chelsea last night where... Sissoko was basically, when Spurs had the, uh, uh, sorry, when Chelsea had the ball, Sissoko was basically playing as the right side at centre half. He was tracking Timo Werner and making sure that Werner was not in space so that um, Serge Aurier could then shut down 
Ben Chilwell. You know, Mourinho had identified that Chelsea's left-hand side was the more dangerous uh, side and he worked to shut that down. And I thought that maybe Lampard could have been a bit braver with his positioning in terms of maybe asking the, uh, Tammy Abraham to move further to the right and then that would drag Werner there, which would then obviously uh, force Sissoko to move across and create space, but he didn't do that. So that told me that he was, uh, Lampard at least was happy with the point, as was Mourinho. And um, I guess it's okay because this isn't a season where you need 95 plus points to win the title. 85 maybe will be enough. So it's okay to drop more points this season. And a, a draw is a good result against a big six team this year, which is what we saw from those two. So Dre, what what was your take on the game? Well, I mean, I, I agree with most of what Marshall has to say in terms of, you know, the tactical setup and whatnot. I don't know that... Um, I don't know that I'd say that Lampard was happy with the point. I, I think, I think for me, he made his substitutions a bit a bit late on in terms of you know he brought on Giroud, he brought on Havertz. Uh, I think he and and uh, Pulisic as well. I think he could have done that a little bit sooner to try to change things up a bit because I think the game was pretty stale through most of the most of the second half. Um, I think that's a game that you know you want to win. Tottenham's on top of the table and they're a team that you think are going to challenge at, at, at this stage and then you're at home and. To be honest, I I think that even in the end, Chelsea could have ended up losing. I think they, you know, Tottenham was pretty confident in what they were doing, and they they looked to hit them on the break. And there were a couple of chances late on in the game where Chelsea was a little shaky, including even one that that Zuma just literally gave to them on top of yeah. the box. But um, yeah, I, it was it was a tough game to to sit down and watch all the way through, just in terms of you know the, the entertainment value. But yeah, I mean, I think yeah. I think an even goalless draw is. is yeah, I'm. I mean, I. I guess it wasn't surprising the possession, right? Uh, Chelsea, we expected uh, more possession. They had sixty percent, and the shots on target. Chelsea had ten compared to Tottenham six. There were only four shots on goal, uh, and expected goals was one point five to point four in Chelsea's favor. I just, I didn't. I felt that there was a lot of work being done for for really not much in the boxes. And I, Dre, I, I want to hear your point on this. There were a few times, there are a few crosses where Abraham just were, wasn't able to handle the um, the crosses effectively. I, I wonder if Giroud coming in, like you had mentioned, maybe ten or or fifteen minutes earlier. That's kind of Giroud's mo, right? He does that for France. And I have to tell you, watching Calvani do that in, in an earlier game where you bring in the seasoned striker that understands the pace of the run. And I, I'd love to hear from a player's perspective how you develop that pace of the run in addition to whether you thought think that Giroud deserves any more playing time. Yeah, I mean, I obviously Giroud brings a different element into the game than Tammy Abraham has. Um just with his physical presence and with his years of experience, he's obviously going to, you know, see things developing a little bit differently than Tammy may see them. And, you know, that will cause for, you know, he might be in a certain area of the box when Tammy might not be and, and vice versa. So um, I think personally, I, w- I would have liked to see him come on a little bit sooner just because in a game against a team, the way Tottenham set up, uh, sometimes that's that's just what it what it takes. Sometimes there's going to be a cross into the box, and it just requires a striker to kind of make something happen out of nothing. And I think Giroud's done that for you know all of his career, and shown that 
he's a guy inside the box who can make a lot out of nothing. Uh, so yeah, I would, I would, I would have liked to see him uh, come on a little bit sooner. And just to follow up on a, on from a player perspective, you know, there's that time where you don't overrun uh, the pass, uh, particularly mm-hmm. when you're going on goal. How does one develop that? And kind of what have, what have your experiences been? Uh, for me, it's, it's just repetitions and, and just consistently doing it over and over again. And sometimes, to be honest, it's just not going to work. Sometimes, you know, you'll still be uh, on a different wavelength than than your than your teammates. But I think for the most part, it's just the repetition and just getting the reps in and training and having an understanding with the guys that you're playing with. And that just kind of leads to, you know, okay, um, for example, Chilwell. Chilwell likes to do this when he's, when he's about to cross. He likes to, you know, drop the shoulder and, and push left. Maybe he takes an extra touch. And just knowing these kind of things helps you to develop your runs and your movements. And then, you know, once you end up on the same page, it's like clockwork. I got you. All right. Well, well let's go ahead and turn our attention to the, to the next ma- match was the, the Man United-Southampton game. Uh, you know, that, that game really for the first 70 minutes or so struck me as Man United getting increasingly frustrated, Southampton being really savvy um, on some set pieces, uh, a corner in particular to the near post, uh, and then a shot uh, that went over uh, over the wall to the near post uh, and was really inch perfect and ended up, De Gea ended up getting injured uh, uh, in his, his thigh or knee on that. Harshel, walk us through a, a deeper dive into that match. Yeah, um, as I mean, obviously, it's a classic Man United trope now where uh, Fergie time and all of that, you know, that United will always, usually come back from like a goal down or two goals down and score to win or draw the game. But I thought this was actually, obviously, that did apply here as well. But United actually didn't play too badly because in the first half as well, they, for long periods of time, I mean, Southampton are renowned as a high-pressing side a team that uh, is really intense off the ball, doesn't give you time. United were outpressing Southampton. They they managed to win the ball back from Southampton multiple times um, in dangerous areas. And if United's finishing was better in the first half, they could have been 2-0 up. There was a chance that Greenwood uh, missed, even though he went around the uh, goalkeeper, but shot wide into, uh, rather than into the, into the open goal. And uh, another one where the ball was given up and he shot straight at the keeper and then Fernandez. Um, following up was saved really well by Alex McCarthy. So, had those two chances been taken, United would have been 2-0 up. And they were, I I thought they looked the more dangerous side, but you can't really, and Ole uh, said this in the post-match as well, like, you can't really uh, stop set pieces like that. I mean, yes, the the defending could have been much better for the corner, and Fred should not have given away that free kick, but we've spoken about James Ward-Prowse's ability on earlier episodes as well. He is I think the best dead ball specialist in England at the moment. He's and he reminds me he so he, he's so reminiscent of David Beckham in terms of the whip and the power that he gets on his set piece deliveries. And it was the same thing, right? Where two set pieces, Southampton were two 0 up, and I was really happy with the fact that Solskjaer made his changes proactively. Obviously, Henderson needed to come on at halftime due to the injury to the hair, but. He brought Cavani on and I mean, it was just a masterclass in movement for all three goals because obviously he was, he was, he had, he was switched on. He was ready to make the move for both goals where 
he scored, but also for the goal that he assisted for Fernandez, he um, he he he'd gone out to the right because Donny Van de Beek and Fernandez were central. Rashford was coming in from a central position, so he knew that there's no point in staying central because there are three players there. The space is out wide. He pulled out wide. Van Bissaka played the pass to him, and then he had the composure to pick out Fernandez in the box. So, as we said earlier, you know those instincts in the box and the the years of experience that he has that just shown through. And I mean, it's it's high time I think that uh, Solskjaer begins to start him in the league. Hey, well, what, what's your take? I mean, we, earlier we were alluding to Giroud. I mean, Calvani is. I mean, it's just you, he comes on. What? Well, uh, correct me. He has what fifteen or twenty minutes, and he's get, has an assist and two goals. <laughs> I mean, do, do do we need any more evidence? How is it that he knows the where to be at the right place, at the right time? Yeah, I mean, he's just been playing for years. <laughs> he's, he's he's been around for a very long time. He's been doing it for a very long time. So, I mean, it's it's exactly what you could have asked from from him uh, in that moment, and he he goes on and delivers. And I mean, in fairness, I think I think some players um, some players work best in in those kind of situations. I mean, I think even with Giroud at Arsenal at times, I thought that him coming off the bench with twenty thirty minutes to go was like his role, where he just he would come on and he would pose as you know a huge obstacle for defenders and and make things happen. I think for me personally, I kind of I kind of like that role for for Cavani for Man U. I don't I don't know if you get the exact same out of him if he if he starts maybe you do I'm not sure but um you know he he came on and he changed the game for them and obviously they end up winning 3-2 and they're they're fantastically happy about that but just you know to ask you Harshal even do you think that after this game do you do you how do you feel about the the team because for me personally I feel I feel as though they kind of got lucky and got away just from the sense of um even on a different day I think Southampton closes out the game but against a better team, I don't. I don't see that happening. I, I think. I think they. You know. I think Southampton just fall apart, and, and we're we're looking at this completely differently if it finishes two zero, two one, whatever. Yeah, I mean, your Southampton did fall apart towards the the last twenty minutes or so, and Hasanutil said that post match as well. You know that they did fall off a little bit physically, and then obviously it's the quality of the bench, right? Like United can bring on someone like a Cavani off the bench. Which Southampton don't have, but I think I mean United actually played well because yes, first half they didn't take their chances, but they created those chances in the first place. And I was impressed by the fact that they managed to press Southampton and get and, and regain possession um, in dangerous areas, and also be able to sort of uh, restrict Southampton as well. From I, I I can't really remember Southampton creating too many chances in the game other than the ones they created in the first half. And there was a bit of a 20-minute spell in the second half when the second half started where they were a bit on top. But other than that, I thought United actually dominated the game, um, created a bunch of chances first half and then obviously the ones that they took in the second half. So I don't think there's too much for um, Solskjaer to be disappointed about rather other than obviously the concessions of the goals. But I think... I would say that Cavani should begin to start now because obviously we heard that Martial is ill. We don't know whether it's COVID, but if it is, then straight away there's a spot up there. But also that instinct isn't there in the other players. And I, I saw a brilliant example of that in this game as well, where there was a cross that came in and Rashford was on the edge of the box. Fernandez and Van der Beek had made the runs in, but Rashford was on the edge of the box. 
because he was expecting Tellers to play to his feet. And Rashford obviously is a wide attacker, but I think as an attacker, as a striker, you your first instinct should be to make the run into the box. Rashford hasn't developed that yet. Martial also is someone who looks to come short. Usually, they do obviously make runs in behind, but Cavani's movement is just. I mean, it's been not just this game. Wherever he's played in the Champions League um, and in other Premier League games off the bench, his movement has been absolutely impeccable, and that's what gets him the goals. You know, he's he's always scores from usually in the box and it's because of his movement so i expect him to begin to start i don't know if we're going if united are going to still stick to the diamond in midfield which is what they played in this match but van de beek also had a really good game so i'll be honest <laughs> i i can't see united for example missing paul pogba right now because they it looks like it's a bit more of a team without him and i'm not saying that he can't come into the team and make it better but at the moment it it looks like some of the parts are gelling better without him so and he has an injury we i don't know we don't know when he'll be back but it does look like this could be a good base you know with fred and matic and uh, fernandes and van der beek in midfield right what do you think of van der beek did does he is he the right guy at the right place right now um i think i think it's a bit for me i think it's a bit soon to say i mean we always we always hear players talking about you know the adjustment time period when when they're coming to the premier league so i think you know you still give him everybody's different but i think you give him till the end of the season at least and then you you kind of look back and and you give him a full preseason again and see what happens but um i mean i i, I like him so far i think i think he's done quite well I, I i agree i think he had a a good game against southampton as well so it's just only time will tell i guess yeah i was struck by uh how I do think I'm inclined to agree with Harshell. There seems to be more cohesiveness. Um, you know, Greenwood seemed to be struck me as, as wanting to really make his mark. And there are a couple opportunities that he jammed some shots right into some defenders as fairly easy blocks when there was someone to the right or to the left of him five or 10 yards where he could have laid it off. And Hey, you know, um, strikers got to eat. Uh, they got to get fed, but you know, I just feel that there's maybe a little bit of maturing to that process. I will say, in Southampton's defense, uh, you know, I've got a four-letter solution to uh, to them, and that's Ings, right? I mean, they they their their build-up looks solid, their midfield looks solid, but just that final final touches um, and really creating dangerous opportunities. If you if you miss a player like that. Unlike a Liverpool or Man U, where you just have a Calvani or a Giroud that you could just bring off the bench, I mean they're going to be missed a lot. So, I I still get the sense that Man U is the the parts are still less than the than the sum uh, of of all those parts. So we'll see. I, I I don't think they're out of the woods yet, though. Hey, a win is still a win, right? You have to play the full. Full regulation, and 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 that's that's ended up uh, what it, what happened there. Let's turn our attention to one of the more intriguing uh, elements uh, or matches of the weekend, which is the Leeds Everton game. Harshel, help us unpack that. Leeds, um, surprisingly enough, have kept two clean sheets in two games now, even after having conceded, you know, a lot of goals in um, the first few games. So. 
That's they're, tie- the they're tied for the most clean sheets in the Premier League right now. So. Yeah, and you wouldn't have expected that from the way they started the season with the number of goals they were conceding. I mean, in fact, I think they have they've conceded um, the second highest number of goals in the league uh, behind West Brom. You know, they've conceded 17, West Brom are on 18. So you would think that, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm really impressed by the fact that Bielsa has managed to have some sort of defensive improvement over the last two games. And bear in mind that these are two good teams, right? They've kept clean sheets against Arsenal and now um, Everton. So there's there's some good work going on from a defensive point of view. But again, high energy game. And uh, I was really impressed with, and I think most of uh, people who watch Leeds, they, for the first time at least, this guy might go under the radar, but he, Matthias Click in midfield, he's... He's everywhere. He's he 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 go, gets back to defend. He's on the edge of the box taking shots. He goes out to the wide areas to create overloads, and those overloads that they created were crucial. I mean, before the the, the goal that Rafinha scores from outside the box, it's a great it's a great finish, but it's created by the fact that Leeds had five players on the right doing obviously building up, and then the ball gets played across to Rafinha, who's in space because Everton have got six players out there defending. And James hasn't tracked back. So Rafinha is in space. He has the time to pick up, you know, take a touch, line his uh, sights and take a shot, which goes in. So uh, that those wide overloads were crucial. And I think Matthias Click, he's hugely underrated, but he's, I mean, he, all, everybody talks about Calvin Phillips. And I think this was one of his best games in the league so far in terms of the passing and the distribution. But Click literally is the guy who makes them click, I think, in midfield. Well, I I don't know how or if it's possible for us to unpack this, but Leeds is tied for first in the most clean sheets. They are second most goals allowed. If you look at um, Coke, Cooper, Dallas, um, Alaski, and Ailing, they're all in the top 25 best defenders in terms of successful defensive actions per 90. So I don't it seems to me when things go well with leads defensively, they go really well. When things go badly, they go really badly. That's probably the only way I can explain that. Harshel, do you have a, a take on that? Yeah. And I mean, a big reason for that is the fact that they play man to man, right? So when you're playing a man to man system, if you lose your man, I mean, that's it, right? You're, you're very likely to concede uh, goal scoring chances. And that's what, uh, happens with leads that if there is an overload or if due to whatever reason a player makes a mistake and that exposes the defense, it, it does usually lead to a goal scoring chance because it is man to man. So that's the danger of playing a man to man system. And that's what's happened with them. Dre, have you played against many man to man systems? Not many. I remember, I remember specifically there was a game last year against a man to man system uh, in the middle of the field and there was. <laughs> it requires a lot of work. It definitely requires a lot of work. On their on their part or your part or both? Well, both. I mean, because they've they've got to do, and obviously it depends on who's in the middle of the field as well, but they've got to do the running to, you know, follow a guy. And then for us, if we want to get on the ball, especially as a team who wants to play and, and, and have possession of it, we've got to do a lot of moving around to try to lose our guys and to try to create, you know, as much space for us as possible. So um, it definitely, you know, makes it a more high-intensity, high-energy game. and. Uh, it's a lot on the legs for sure. How just, about the just dump in there, Chris? Sorry, 
just a question, Drake, because you said you've played against a man-to-man system. So, like, especially in midfield, what do you have to do or what you, I mean, how do you then create space for yourself or, uh, you know, does it just descend into, like, the ball getting turned over many times, you know? Does it become, like, a game where you can't really have a lot of possession? It's a, it's a, it's a little bit of a mix of both. I think, I mean, when I think back to the game, we... Um, you know, for me, like trying to create little spaces, it's just little changes of, of pace to try to create a little bit of separation because at the end of the day, you're not going to have, you know, 10, 15 yards of space. It's going to be, you know, five yards, three yards, whatever the case may be. So just trying to sort that out and figure that out so that you can get, you know, touches on the ball and, and hope to look forward. And then obviously um, at times it is going to require that the ball is probably going to be, you know, going long a little bit more than you'd like. And uh, you probably have to pick up a little, uh, you know, a lot more second ball and try to play from there. So, it, I mean, you're going to have to mix it up a bit, but uh, there are ways to try to get around it and just, you know, play quicker and, and, and different stuff like that. Dre, what was your take on uh, Everton's midfield? How, how did they do from your perspective? Uh, I mean, it, they were okay. I mean, I, I, it's it's tough against against a team like Leeds, obviously, because of, because they play like that. Um, so, you, you, you know, you don't expect, you don't expect entirely too much from them, but I mean, I, I've, I've liked them in field so far from Everton over, over the games that they've played. I mean, I, I enjoy watching them play. I think they've came together quite well. Um, so, you know, I, I don't really look at one individual game and, and judge them from there, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think, it was, I think it was okay. Just, just average really. Harshal, what's your sense of how Everton's going to fare uh, in, in the coming weeks. Are they, you know, they, they started out really strong. You know, I do think that Leeds tends to do really well against mid-block teams. Uh, so, but what, what's your prognosis going forward for Everton? It really depends on, I mean, a few key players getting fit for them because you got to remember this game, they played with a back three, but then the wingbacks were two central midfielders. Alex Iwobi was on the left and uh, Tom Davies was on the right. And they both got changed. Uh, I mean, Ancelotti subbed both of them. Uh, he brought on uh, Fabian Delft to play at left wing back. And I can't remember who it was who came on to play at right wing back. Although I think they might have changed and gone to a four by then. But uh, they, they don't have Seamus Coleman. They don't have Lucas. De- Luca Dinia is out for a couple of months, apparently, with, a, with an injury and he's had surgery. So... The, the thing is, again, with the way that Everton were playing, their fullbacks were really critical, especially on the left, because uh, Dinia, Richarlison, and then uh, James coming in from the right and playing the passes out to them was becoming a really good area of chance creation for them. That's not going to be available. So I think they, they, they still are a pretty good side. They've got a really good striker up front. Richarlison is obviously very dangerous. And that midfield, as Ray said, looks like it's settling in. You know, in this game, for example, in the first half, especially, I thought Dukure made a couple of really good runs, um, you know, late into the box where he couldn't capitalize. But uh, that sort of energy that they've managed to get into the box and then Allen uh, is there to sort of be the defensive screen. So, the, the you know, the, the raw materials are there, but he, I think Ancelotti needs a few of the guys to come back or maybe to find a different solution at fullback. And I think where they are in the table right now, the seventh, I think that is going to be where they end up, you know, about maybe seventh to 10th, 11th, maybe that's going to be their natural habitat. Let's turn our attention to the Liverpool-Brighton uh, match, which was a, a 1-1 uh, 
outcome. Liverpool was banging on the door for most of the game. They got their goal. Uh, and then in the 90-something minute, uh, there was a PK. Uh, and the unluckiest team in the league got a little lucky uh, with what Welbeck, uh, their striker later said, was a, a soft penalty. Um, and he was, he was happy to take it and, and, and move on. What's your sense of that game, Harshel? Um, I mean, I think Brighton fans could have been forgiven for thinking that their lucky, sorry, the the, the unlucky streak was going to continue because um, Aaron Connolly missed a one-on-one early in the first half when he went through. Um, I think there was another one that was missed, I think, by Mope, and then obviously Neil Mope missed the penalty as well, which they got earlier in the game. Mm-hmm. And within ten minutes of that, he went off with an injury. So. Uh, I believe Alan L- Adam Lalana came on and went off within 15 minutes with an injury. So th- he had to be subbed as well. So it seemed as if everything was going against them, but they obviously picked up uh, the late penalty and Gross scored it. They got the point. But I thought it was interesting that Brighton were able to exploit Liverpool's high line, especially in the first half. And Klopp sort of alluded to that in his post-match interview as well, where he said that we didn't drop at the right time. We Because we were playing a high line, you either have to cut out the pass or you drop. And we didn't do either. And they had a couple of chances, but we obviously the keeper did well there. So that's an area where maybe teams can look to exploit against Liverpool, especially because they're playing with an unfamiliar backline, right? Because they have so many players out injured. Those guys probably haven't really played too much with each other other than on the training ground the previous week. So being able to maybe catch out Liverpool's high line with those sort of passes and those runs is something which I think opposition teams can look at um, in the next few weeks. Dre, help us unpack the next game, Arsenal-Wolves, uh, which unfortunately was marred by a, some terrible head injuries um, fairly early in the first half. First and foremost, I, I hope Jimenez is okay. I mean, that's, you never like to see that. I saw he had a fractured skull, so I hope his recovery goes well. But... Um, Arsenal struggling. <laughs> Arsenal, Arsenal deeply, deeply struggling. I mean, I think you know they 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 did have they did manage to create a few chances you know on in the second half to to potentially get a goal back. But I mean, we we talk about their their creativity a lot, and I think that's that's going to be a big thing for them. I think they're gonna they're gonna struggle there. Um, but we also thought that defensively they were a little bit more solid. Uh, under Arteta with the, you know, the back three. He's gone, he's gone to a back four this game, um, which but I, I, I found that to be interesting. I, I think he's done it the last two or three games, maybe something, yeah, something like yeah. that. Yeah, so, um, you know, I'm interested in, in, in what his what his reasoning for that is. And they, they can see two goals. I mean, Wolves, fair play to them. Wolves did well. They're, they're always dangerous on the counterattack. They have lots of pace and, and you know, specifically in Traore. And he's a handful and... Um, He's involved in both goals, both goals, obviously, and it's it's tough to see from an Arsenal perspective. But you know, at the end of the day, I, I think we just have to accept that they're struggling this year, and it's probably going to continue to go on like this. Harshal, what's your take on the match? Yeah, as Jay said, um, Arsenal really are struggling. This is, I mean, this game more than any other game reminded me of the worst of what we saw last year under Emery. It was really, I mean. Uh, a throwback to that and not in a good way, obviously. Um, I'll talk a little bit more about Arsenal in a bit, but again, Wolves, they've played a back four again. They've, they've, and we've spoken about this. They've exclusively played a back three under Nuno for the last 
two and a bit seasons and in the last two games they played with a back four it was a 4231 this time around and it they played it really well uh, they they actually had a bunch of chances Traore on the right is i mean when he gets going it's it's almost impossible to stop him he had a big role in both goals i thought um the goal that Podence scored the, the if you've seen that goal the scoop he does to get the ball when the ball comes into the box he does a really i mean it's a brilliant bit of skill where he does a scoop over the arsenal defender who's sliding in and that leaves him with an empty net to tap into right so pedro neto podens uh traore they all had brilliant games mutinho was brilliant as the sort of defensive screener in front of the back four um uh, and it just looked like it didn't look like wolves haven't played this system for two and a half years it looked like they've been playing it week in week out so that will be a very good sign for uh, nuno and it looks like it's another sort of tactical string he's added to his bow right because up until now you could almost you just need to look at the team sheet and you'll know whether they're playing a 3-4-3 or a 3-5-2 but that's going to change from now on with regard to arsenal um it's 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 they we've spoken about this so many times there's just so much of i mean there's so much of a lack of creativity and there's one stat i want to pull out here to illustrate that um and that's the number of passes that arsenal or i mean teams in the premier league take per shot so that's it's literally as the name says total number of passes uh divided by total number of shots taken in the league arsenal on average are making 52 passes for every shot that they've taken in the league and it's the highest by a huge margin i mean just for comparison man city are taking are making 34 passes per shot man united are making 39 Chelsea are making 42, Liverpool are making 40, Tottenham are making 43. So they're all they're all in the low uh, high 30s, low 40s. Arsenal are on a league of their own with 52 passes per shot, you know. So that basically tells you that they're not being able to create chances. They're just passing the ball around for for possession sake, but the 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 final ball isn't there. That that bit of verticality that you need or someone to play that uh clinical pass isn't there and they're going to struggle i think as long as they can't uh, get that into the team because obamayang again looked completely isolated didn't have a lot of support and uh, begging he's begging for chances right now <laughs> <laughs> i mean again there's a stat that was doing the rounds it's been 10 games for arsenal i believe in the league obamayang's xg from 10 games in total is 1.84 or something like that that's ridiculous he has an xg of a little of less than 2 from 10 games in the league he's not, he's just not got into positions to be able to take shots and that's basically the problem uh, in a nutshell for arsenal so my take is first of all i want to chat just a bit about wolves because they deserve some love uh they are third or fourth in the league in terms of goals allowed uh they're very parsimonious about allowing goals they're tied for 16th for number of goals that they've scored. So, uh you want to call it luck, you want to talk talk about uh whether the manager is really cagey about managing matches, uh but I am very impressed that uh Wolves without Jota, without with Doherty's departure and frankly their replacements not completely betting in um in a meaningful way yet that they're sixth uh in the league and that to me is just really great to see a small run smaller budget club like that that can take care of business 
you know, that the magic sauce still seems to be working even after several years. I mean, Chris, it's a little relative. You say small run, they spent, I think, close to 80 odd million in the summer and they've been spending hugely. They're backed by a Chinese conglomerate. So, I mean, <laughs> I get what you're saying, but it's not like they're a small uh, club by any means. They have a lot of money. <laughs> I, I think that's fair to say, Harshel, but uh, but there's the billion b- billionaires club and the, there's the hundred millionaires <laughs> club. And, yeah. uh, you know, you don't think of Wolves being able to stick it to kind of big six and even formerly known as big six, like Arsenal. Um, <laughs> is, um, so, and just kind of getting my sense on Arsenal, I, I'm not going to pile on because it's just, we need to have a mercy rule here, but there, there, there are all these stats that are coming out about how Arteta has got a pretty similar, um, similar record to managers before him. Right. And rankings are where they are right here. And you just really wonder, I, I think in terms of a clear style of play, it's there. I just feel like Arteta's, candidly needs to be given more time to build his box of toys, if you will, um, because I still feel like the players aren't quite working for Arsenal. And I, you can't fix that in one transfer window or even two. And I'm, I'm just hopeful that the generally grumpy Arsenal fans give Arteta a little more time to build things in his own vision. Uh, so we'll kind of see you, you hear things about he's over coaching his, his players and things like that. And, you know, I don't know if that really is the case when you're trying to, to really change systems over Dre, any sense of over coaching versus under coaching? Are those, are those myths that pundits come up with or um, do players generally feel, feel that as well? No, I mean, I, there are definitely, you know, more hands-on coaches, coaches who will literally tell you the next pass that, that they want you to make. And that's, as a player, um, whether you can tune it out or not, at the end of the day, if you're not doing what the manager asks for you, what, what he wants, then you're probably not going to play. So obviously you want you want to put yourself in a position to be on the field and you end up kind of feeling like you're not really playing your game if you're, you know, literally being controlled, like it's FIFA kind of, you know? So there's there's that aspect of it, but I mean I think I think in the situation he's come into where he's trying to implement a new system and he's trying to lay the foundation essentially, I think it's going to require a bit of that sometimes in terms of hey in certain situations this is what I want this is what I think is going to work um, until that's built and until there's an understanding and then you kind of go from there. Um, I I agree that that you know, he's probably going to take some time, especially if he's changing up everything and he's, he's bringing in his own ideas. The only thing though, is that it's, you know, this is their worst start, I think in, in history through 10 games. Um, so it's, it's definitely something that people are looking at and they're starting to raise questions and, and wonder what's going on because I mean, in my, in my years of supporting Arsenal, I've, I've never seen anything like it. So it's, it's definitely a shock. It's a shock to the system. But, uh, for me personally, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to, to, wait and see how it goes and see if he can get a few more players that, that he wants and, and go from there. So hopefully, hopefully some things can turn around. I hope the fans give him some more runway. I, I do think that mm-hmm. Thursday, Sunday matches uh, going off to Europe just doesn't have a lot of time to get some 
some legit practices in, right? You know, you put in two recovery days, you just, and then one prep, you, there's just not enough days in the week to kind of go through the system and the depth that I imagine mm-hmm. he'd want to. Um, so let's, let's turn our attention, just what's going on in terms of champions league fixtures for the, the premier league teams uh, this week, Trey. Uh, yeah. So all the, in champions league and Europa league, um, all the, all the teams are pretty solid in their groups right now. I think just Liverpool needs to get points from one of the next two games, uh, to be solid. I think Tottenham needs points from one of the next two games. But other than that, all the teams are, I wouldn't say surprisingly doing well, but when you look at their league form of, you know, the teams like Man City and, and Man United, Man United, especially in a group with, with Leipzig and PSG, they're, they're flying. So, um, yeah, it's good, it's good to see that the Premier League teams are having success in Europe. Yeah, it seems like a fairly um, uneventful. You you'd kind of, you would think the Premier League would do well. Um, so it's going to be uh, some a bit of travel, uh, depending on which, which team you are. Um, you know, I think the, the work rates are fairly significant. Just to kind of uh, get back to the Premier League, you know, Newcastle um, ended up winning 2-0 against Crystal Palace. That was a solid win for a mid the, a mid-table clash. Uh, Man City uh, finally found its uh, its goal-creating uh, mojo uh, over Burnley, 5-0. So look forward to seeing if Man City rights the ship in terms of being able to create those opportunities. Um, West Brom was able to beat Sheffield United, who have really, really been struggling at one point in the last 10 games, that's a that's a milestone you, you really don't want to achieve. Uh, and, um, you know, uh, Fulham had a, a surprise upset uh, beating Leicester City. Um, so, Harshal, any any notes you want to give on any of those matches? A mm, couple of quick ones. Um, yeah, City look, just looked better than they have. They, they looked quicker. They looked, I mean, the passing was higher tempo. You know, it was a lot more one-touch than sort of City hogging, not hogging the ball, but taking more time, which allows teams to get set in their defensive block. I think one of the one of the key things was that um, Mendy played at, at left-back, which gave them natural width on that side. He obviously came in and scored a goal as well, which was his first City goal. Uh, and just because he held the width on the left, that allowed the likes of uh, Ferran Torres and, and Mares to come inside and play in those spaces. Mares, I thought, was brilliant on the day, got a hat-trick. Kevin De Bruyne looked looked fresh, and he laid on three. I, I think he laid on three assists. So that 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 bodes well for City that they were able to. And although I mean, obviously it's it's Burnley. I mean, they've lost five nil on the last four games. I think they've that they've played at the Etihad. So it's not really that much of a of a marker, but it's still a good thing for Pep and Sheffield United. Like you mentioned, um, this game I thought they were su- again they were supremely unlucky. They notched up the highest xG of any team in the last five years in the Premier League without scoring a goal. I think it was, I don't remember the exact figure. I think it was around three, if I'm not mistaken, 2.84 or three or something around that, uh, uh, around those lines. And they didn't score a goal. So that, I think they were really unlucky in this game. But that's becoming a bit of a feature with Sheffield United that either they're not creating chances or the, the few occasions when they do create chances, they're not taking them. But they're continuing to leak goals. So... Chris Wilder, maybe in the way that Nuno has gone to a back four, maybe he should he could consider a change of system 
because this is again something that Sheffield United have been playing consistently under Wilder ever since he's been manager. You know, back in the Championship um, and even back in League One. So maybe a, a change of formations needed, some sort of a change of approach is needed because they really need to find something there. Very good. Well, let's go ahead and pre- preview some of Week 11's matches. Uh, Man United versus West Ham. Dre, what's your first take on on, on this matchup? Um, honestly, I, I expect it to be a bit of a routine win for Manchester, Manchester United. I, I think, I'm hoping that they're starting to find their form a little bit. And, you know, they're starting to come together in gel. I mean, we're talking about the cohesiveness in the midfield now. Um so for me, I, I expect them to win comfortably, maybe, you know, 2-3-0. 2-3-0. How about, how about you, Harshal? I don't think it'll be that comfortable because West Ham have actually looked quite solid defensively under Moyes over the last four or five games. They've gone to a back three uh, and it, it's laying a pretty solid platform and then they're actually going out and scoring goals as well. So it could actually be a bit tougher than it has been for United. Um create chances so although I mean I do expect United's individual quality to come through so I'd go for a maybe a 3-1 win to United but one I mean I think it'll be a game that'll be decided later on like this one was where maybe United it's one all and then last 20 minutes United score two goals or something like that yeah I have a little different take I think West Ham they have the second stingiest defense or tied for second in the league with only 10 goals scored I I I think Man U still still not quite got its mojo. I think it's going to be a two one result. I'm just not sure who's going to have the two and who's going to have the one. Just to make things interesting, I'm going to go for West Ham upsetting two to one uh, in this game here. How about Harshal unpacking the Chelsea Leeds match? What can we expect from this? It's at Stamford Bridge. Um, although I mean, I don't know how much home advantage counts for without fans but this could be a game where again we've said we've said this multiple times leads are just so much fun to watch so i think this is again going to be one of the games of the weekend next week but uh, it could be a tricky one for chelsea again because leads are such a high energy team and chelsea at times have struggled with playing it out of the back and that's again something that leads can capitalize on with their pressing with the midfield running as well uh you know, I, I spoke about Click early on and he could again, if, you know, the likes of Kovacic don't track his runs or, I mean, if he does go into an area where there's too much for Kante to do at the base of midfield, that could then again create a chance for the likes of Jack Harrison, uh, uh, Rafinha or even Bamford up front, right? So, of course, Chelsea also do have the quality to punish leads on the other end. So, could be, I think... It could be the absolute opposite of the Chelsea Spurs game from this weekend, where it was so drab and dull. It could this could be supremely entertaining, high energy, and I think it could be. It will probably be a two-all draw. Two, two, two-all two. draw. Yeah, okay, Dre, yeah. how about your take? Yeah, that's that's actually what I was thinking as well. I I I think it'll be a very entertaining game. I'm just looking at at Chelsea kind of struggling to play at the back a little bit as well, and and with the Leeds press, I think that they can create chances from there and. Obviously, we've seen Chelsea going forward. They have a lot of attacking options. So um, I'm hoping there will be goals in the game. And I, I think 2-2 is a fair result. I hate to sound a little boring, but I think it's going to be 2-1. And I want to call for another potential upset on this one. 
largely because Leeds is a, is a box of chocolates. You don't know if you're biting into um, caramel or jalapeno, right? It's, you just don't know what you're going to get. But I guess what I'll do is I'll go with 2-1 Leeds just to keep it spicy. Uh, so we'll, we'll see how that, how that game uh, goes. Tottenham Arsenal. Dre, what's your take on, on what should we look for in that game? Any surprises to consider? Um, I'm interested to see how both teams line up. I think, I think we've seen Arsenal against, I mean, I say the big six. I, I don't know if I really include Tottenham or not, but we've seen Arsenal kind of be a little bit more defensive and, and try to be a little bit more resilient in their approach and kind of catch teams on the counterattack. And then we've seen that from Tottenham in, in the last couple of games as well. So I think it'll be interesting to see kind of who dominates the ball and, and, and go from there. But at the end of the day, um, I think, I think Tottenham's going to win the game, maybe 2 1. 2 1 Tottenham. Harshal? Harshal smiles when I said that. <laughs> nah, the reason I'm smiling is because it's rare, it's really rare for an Arsenal fan to yeah. say that before a North London derby. <laughs> but yeah. I mean, that just sums up the state of the or the mood that's around Arsenal at the moment, right? Because, um, yeah, I think as Dre said, it's like based on current form and all of that, it's likely that us uh, that Spurs will win the game, but. I I am hoping for something from from Arteta from in this game. You know, something where he you see something different in terms of an approach or in terms of the lineup that he puts out, or just even if it's the same lineup. Just I think there was a loss. There's not the, the intensity isn't there as well. And I know these are sort of you know concepts rather than sort of actual uh, things you can drill into players. But I he does need to find a way for Arsenal to play with a lot more intensity than they're doing at the moment. And then the creativity that we spoke about, which is non-existent. So who he brings in to help that out, I don't know. But they do need to find some sort of service for Aubameyang. Because if they can do that, Spurs, I thought, did look a little vulnerable against Chelsea. Joe Rodon, who made his full Premier League debut, had a two or three hairy moments, right? So he will need to play again, I think, because Alderweireld is still out. So there are a few chinks which they can exploit if they have the right players. So, I don't know. I'm hoping for something from Arteta. But from in terms of a scoreline, I'll go with the same that Dre said, you know, maybe 2-1 to, to Spurs. I hope Arsenal puts egos aside. And and uh, I know I don't even know if Ozil is on the squad or not. No, he's but, not. That's the thing. Yeah. <laughs> I would love to see Ozil and Partey just line up together and give them three or four matches just to kind of work out the creativity element of it um you know they this i know the betting world has got tottenham is pretty significant favorites for this game i'm going to be inclined to agree with with y'all i think it's probably going to be closer to a 2-0 uh match i just don't know if arsenal has the punch uh to to make things happen i see some some youngsters uh that are going to be awesome in a couple of years there's some connect connective tissue that's just missing and I don't have the the gray matter to figure out how to get that connectivity going except for a few weeks of of solid practice time and they're just not going to get that uh really until January or February so I'm I'm hoping the patience of Arsenal fans hold until that time Liverpool Wolves Harshell what's what's your take on that game yeah, the Jota reunion um, for the Wolves fans. But, I mean, over the last 
two or three games it it really looks like they're not missing him and obviously that's as i said over the last two or three games because he's been banging in the goals for liverpool he did so against brighton as well right so uh i think it's been really interesting to see how nuno's managed to get wolves to change to a completely different shape um over the last two games without a lo- you know it hasn't looked like there's um they've needed too much effort to do that they've almost seamlessly playing new roles and a new formation that that so i i'm interested to see if he sticks to that against liverpool i, I wouldn't be surprised if he goes back to a back 3 and what he knows and what wolves have played for the majority of their time in the premier league against a team like liverpool so that i'm interested to see if he sticks to a back 4 or plays a back 3 but uh, it's just liverpool look like a bit of a machine at the moment in the sense that they're getting the results i know it they did drop two points against brighton but they didn't lose and they're still winning the games you know even though uh, they they might have players out injured they obviously james milner went off injured against brighton as well so there's again that question of whether he'll be fit for the weekend but uh, they're finding a way they're just finding a way so i i think it'll be liverpool 2-1 to liverpool 2-1 liverpool how about yeah. you joy Uh, I, I think one zero. Um, I think Wolves has been struggling to score a bit, and I think that's gonna, I think that's gonna continue. So I, I think one zero Liverpool, maybe even two. I think it's gonna be one zero or possibly two zero. Probably a little more comfortable with two zero. I think Wolves are gonna miss Jimenez tremendously, uh, and Traore is is performing some absolute magic, but uh, he is in an ensemble where they're just. uh the other players are still just a bit a bit young so uh time time will tell i like uh liverpool's chances very much about grinding out the wins hasha i like your point they're not winning every battle but they're certainly winning the war uh over time yeah. despite significant casualties well gentlemen why don't we leave it there thank you so much for your time we are sponsored by the premier league guide a 300-page guide of the season created by a team of 15-plus writers and designers. Moneyball for football, analytics plus opposition analysis plus eye candy. The next update will be released on December 5th at www.thinkingfanmedia.com and on Amazon. Join us next week for uh, another podcast for thinking fans. For now, bella ciao, bella ciao, ciao ciao.